Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. Thanks for tuning in to Lead to Succeed, episode 18. Today's interesting fact is Google's first ever tweet was sent in 2009. It was binary code for I'm feeling lucky, which is the button next to the search button on Google today and every day. Today, I am feeling lucky as I have the pleasure of speaking to Mark Levy. Mark is the founder of Levy Innovation LLC, a positioning and strategy firm that helps organizations and thought leaders differentiate by using a big, sexy idea. Mark has consulted to some of the world's most prominent people and organizations, including Simon Sinek of Start With Why fame, a former department head from the White House, CEOs of major brands, the former head of strategy of the Harvard Business School, and two TV shows. He has written for the New York Times and has written or co-created created five books, including Accidental Genius, Using Writing to Generate Your Best Ideas, Insight, and Content. And I've actually read that book. I enjoy it very much and really have learned a lot from it. And I'm going to lift a curtain before I introduce Mark and just say that I had the pleasure of meeting him for the first time at an author conference this past summer, recording this in late December of 2017. And I had a conversation with Mark, actually, because of the fact that there were two concurrent sessions and I was trying to decide what to do, where to go. You know, there were different tracks and all of that. And Mark was very clear and very, how shall I say, persuasive to ensure that I went to his session as opposed to the other one. And I've never looked back. It was one of the best decisions I made over that entire time. So, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, now what you do is obviously different than what most people do in the sense that you're in positioning, strategy, marketing. Tell us a little bit more about what you do, first of all, and how did you get into this? Well, what I do, so my elevator speeches, consultants and other thought leaders hire me to increase their fees by up to 2,000%. And I do that predominantly in two ways. So the first way is I'm a positioning consultant, as you said. So I help people come up with their big, sexy idea, their signature idea, the idea that they're going to be known for throughout their marketplace. And I make sure it comes through loud and clear in everything they do, like in their websites and any speeches they give and elevator speeches and whatnot, so that anyone in the marketplace who falls in love with that idea has to seek my client out because my client embodies that idea. Mm -hmm. You know, they symbolize that idea. It's very differentiated. And my client, you know, they are that idea in people's eyes. So there's no other option than to seek my client out. So that's the first thing I do is I position them around that uh, big, sexy idea, that differentiator. And the second thing I do is I coach them to write books and to uh, give speeches, to use as skyrockets for their business, right? And so some people who I've worked with, as you say, uh, there's two different types. One type is they've already made it. You know, so I, again, I've worked with someone, you know, uh, who had been headed a division of the White House and so forth and CEOs of major brands and places like that, chairmen of the board and people of that nature. But then also I work with people who write and speak about ideas for a living and they may not be quite famous yet, but they deserve to be famous. So it's like, what is that idea that's going to make you famous in your marketplace? And how do you get it out there? And how do you talk about it? And so the way you asked me how I started to do this business, should I just continue on into that? Go right go right ahead. You're doing great. All right. Good, good, good. Because otherwise I tend to talk in a filibuster. 
It's like you could fair enough. You could click your microphone off for thirty five minutes and come back, and I, and Mark would still be talking. So, but since you invited me in, I will continue. So the way I started to uh, do this stuff is I was director of special projects of a very large book wholesaler. And so book wholesalers, they do things like they buy millions of dollars worth of books from major publishers like Random House and Simon & Schuster. And then they sell them to independent bookstores, to Barnes & Nobles, to Amazons or so. And I did that for like 14 years. And the interesting thing about that kind of work is I helped sell over a billion dollars worth of books. And the interesting thing is books are really, in a sense, commoditized, at least when you're a wholesaler, when you're a distributor, because the copy of a title, like let's say a new Stephen King book, I have that Stephen King book. All my competitors have that Stephen King book. And by the way, even all my clients have that Stephen King book. It's not like it was some surprise that that was. And so it's literally the identical thing. So how do you go about selling a billion dollars of something that everyone already has? They already know it. And so I became quite adept at looking at books very, very quickly and seeing here's what this book is about. Here's why it should sell. Here's why it shouldn't sell. Here's what's important about this book based on what's happening in the world today and so forth. I made all kinds of calculations and then I knew whether to sell it or not. And I was extremely successful at that. So after I had done that for so many years, I just decided to start doing that for people's businesses. So essentially, it's the exact same thing that I will look at your business. I'll look at your business. And I look at your business as if it were a book, right? Even whether you've written a book or not, I look at your business like it's a book. And so I say, okay, what's the main idea of this book that you have put out there in the form of your business, right? Like what's the main idea? What are the stories in the book? What are the supporting ideas and so forth? And is that the strongest book that you could have published? If not – Maybe there's a subordinate idea, an idea you're not giving that much attention to. But if we elevated that to the fore, suddenly your book would become a bestseller instead of just like sitting on the shelf or so. Or maybe if we combined a couple of subordinate ideas and made a new idea from it, or maybe if we changed the audience of your book from this audience to that audience, maybe the book would really take off. So I kind of look at what it is you're doing and ask you questions about it. And then it's like, okay, here's what it is you You've been doing. Here's what it is. I think you should be doing. That's going to make this a winner, right? So that's for a business, not just for a book. Yeah, that's makes great. sense. It makes a yeah. lot of sense. And actually, what I'm thinking about as you're talking, Mark, is you know, obviously, this sounds like a lot of what we call external branding. You know, how people in the marketplace who are engaging with you, whether you're an individual or you're a company, you know, your your sort of distinguishing proposition and what makes you different, etc. But I'm wondering about internal marketing because. Because we know that engagement is slacking, you know, or maybe has just perpetually been slacking. I'm not quite sure. I haven't followed all the all the data, but we know <laughs> engagement is not where it needs to be. We know that a lot of people don't really feel fully, especially in the millennial generation, as engaged with their work as they need to be. So is this the kind of thing that could also work sort of like in-house just within your own, you know, within your own organization, your own company, like what we might call internal branding that sort of raises everybody to a raison d'etre that they're, they're sort of motivated and moving in the same general direction? Or do you see this more as an external marketing type of thing, more for, you know, prospective clients and whatnot? 
No, it 100% also works inside of organizations. And one of the ways that it works inside organizations is I'm a big believer in leaders sometimes think that just by virtue of their position, like their stated position on their business card, that, that people will follow them. You know, like I'm legally the leader, so I will be – people need to follow me. And as we know – and I'm saying this because you used the word engagement. As we know, people don't always follow what the leader says. They may pay lip service to it, but it's more likely like they may like sit on their hands. They may not like follow through. It's more like, yeah, let's wait this new initiative out because it will just fade away and, you know, I'll go back to doing the stuff that I normally do. But – You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. So to me, the way if you're a leader, let's say, to get people to follow you more internally is that your staff, everyone in the organization, both the people on your team, in other divisions, in other silos, the clients, the vendors, everyone, they need to know who you are in a much more clear and dramatic way if you're a leader. So what it is, is they need to know what your philosophy is on how to do work, like your philosophy around the work you do, the philosophy of growth, what it is you see happening for clients, like what it is your philosophy of what you hope happens for clients. People need to know your backstory, the story of why you were born to do this work, or even if you weren't born to do it, why it's come to mean more to you than just as a means of making money, like why this work's important to you. They need to know this and you get word out about all these pieces of philosophy and who you are and why you do the work you do and your success stories and your failure stories. And you get them out there in informal conversation with your staff and with other people in other parts of the organization and with clients and with prospects. And you could also do it more formally. You could do it through like putting up blog posts, you know, on your LinkedIn or putting up like 90 second videos of you talking about ideas and so forth. You get ideas, you get who you are and why you care out there with such clarity and with depth that when you show up in the room, everyone now knows that you deserve to be listened to because of who you are as a person. Like it's not just what your job title is. It's like, okay, it's like this person in front of me, I know all about them. I know why this work's important to them. I know what their thinking is. I know what their vision is, like in a real honest way and in depth. And they're a person who demands to be not necessarily uh, uh, followed verbatim, but like listened to, like they earn the right to be listened to closely because their opinions count. Beautiful. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I want to go a little deeper if I can with you, Mark, on this point. First of all, just to reinforce what I think I heard is the idea, which I think is wonderful. You know, sometimes when it comes to marketing, we have this sense that we need to do a full blowout campaign and kind of put ourselves on Madison Avenue and and let everybody (laughs) notice us in a big kind of way. But what I heard from you is sort of the opposite approach. It doesn't mean that can't work, but what I'm hearing from you is that first getting internal clarity, 
messaging that clarity from within to other people, whether it's with words, uh, spoken words, whether it's communicated through, uh, you know, you talked about videos or or blog posts or all these kinds of things, which are not necessarily big, audacious ways forward, but they're slow, yeah. they're incremental, they build identity. And slowly but surely, if you're strategic about it, and I would assume consistent as well, you're going to find transformation in terms of how people identify who you are and what you do. Did I get that right? Beautifully said. You know, it's it's kind of like, I'm not telling you to start a blog, although you could, but you could put up blog posts on medium.com or on, you know, your LinkedIn or so. You could send, you could send the link to people in your organization. And it's more like this, very informal. It's well, I'll say this will sound uh, might sound a little nutty to some people, but like where this idea to me comes from, uh, it comes from a few places. I'm an independent consultant, and I get work all year long, and I have an extremely high closing rate. My closing rate is enormously high, and the reason being, it's not like I'm so great as, at being a closer. You know, it's not like I strong arm people into like, okay, sign the deal. It's like, it's more that people show up already persuaded to deal with me. Like they want to have a call because they'll say, you know, like dear Mark in an email, they'll say, Mark, I've heard all about you. I've seen videos of you speaking. I've talked to clients of yours. I've read some of your books or so forth. I know that you're the guy who can help me. I would love to have a call with you and try to convince you to work with me. Because I know that you can make a big difference to your business. Not all the emails I get are like that, you know, who want to work with me. But a lot of them are. In other words, it's not – I'm not getting on the – they come to me closed. I I don't have to close them. They come closed. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and then we just find like is this a a good relationship to have? Right. So in the same way, if you're running a department, let's say, you probably have like – uh, rationale, like heuristics, like pieces of philosophy that you use in order to create strategy. Like you're asking people to do things and there's probably really interesting ideas and stories behind why you're asking them to do things, but you don't always articulate those ideas and those stories. You may not have even ever fully articulated them to yourself. Right. So what it is I'm saying is you might even have, let's say, an, a meeting with your staff saying things like, look, we're all about growth. We've been doing a great job, all these things. And you know what? When I ask you to do certain things, it actually comes from some philosophical place. I actually have reasoning behind what it is I said. I would love to have this meeting now and tell you some of the ideas that are behind what it is I ask of you and some stories about it. And by the way, I'd love to hear your ideas and stories about growth too. Like, let's have that conversation. You know what I mean? Like you could do it in a meeting or you could just do it one-on-one. Sure. When you're speaking to people, it's like, oh yeah, we need to do X. And you know, the reason why we need to do X, here's why I think it's so important. Sure. You know, and then you, you would talk about it. So, so that's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, so they know so much about you that they're much more engaged in taking on what it is that you're asking of them. And I would add, if I may, that was awesome, Mark, but I would add, um, first of all, I want to say that I can vouch for the idea of people coming to you already mentally you know, ready to close, so to speak, even though we haven't had the pleasure of working professionally together. But even in a few minutes of conversation at that conference, it was very clear that you have you know, a real 
clear sense of what you're trying to accomplish with a client and the ability to turn that into a result in very short order was something that really impressed me about you. And so I think oh, anyone you. from Lead to Succeed Nation listening to this podcast who does want to understand their, their selves better, so to speak, their branding, their positioning, and really put it out there in a way that will resonate with their audience, Mark is certainly a great resource and someone who you should be in touch with. And we're going to leave his contact information. We'll talk about all of that later. But I, I wanted to ask you, you. Um, before we go further, Mark, is there an example? I know you, you know you can't really necessarily share most of your work and your clients and all of that with our audience. But is there an example that you can share where you you help somebody, whether it was internally or externally, with their marketing in the sense that so people who are listening to this can understand, you know, what would that actually look like? We've talked in theory, I think, about you know having ideas, but not really putting them out there. And, and and are you able to share a specific example where as a result of doing X, the benefit for somebody was Y? Right. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I have so many stories. I'm just trying to think of, of a story to share. So for instance, one of my clients, Lisa McLeod, Lisa McLeod is, is a sales consultant. And when we first started to work together years ago, she came to me and she was just about to do three speaking engagements for audiences that could hire her. So she wanted to make sure that she did a good job at those, uh, you know, at those speaking engagements. But what she was talking about wasn't necessarily differentiated. Right, she had been an expert salesperson. She had worked at Procter and Gamble. She had done all these things, but in speaking to her, I had these long conversations with her. And in the middle of one conversation, she said to me, "You know, so she's very, very, she's very smart, and she's very earnest about the work she does, and she cares about the world beyond just sales." She was talking about Unitarianism. She was talking about Thomas Jefferson. You know, she was talking about freedom and she was talking about sales and like all this kind of stuff. And in the middle of one of our conversations, she just said, she said, you know, what I really want to do is restore the nobility to the sales process or to the salespeople. And I noted that I didn't say anything. And she just went on to, you know, like talking, you know, continuing with what she was saying. And then like at the end of the the session, I said, okay, Lisa, so here's what you are. You're not a sales trainer. You're a sales leadership consultant and you don't train people on other people's sales methodology, right? That other people have done. You teach people your own sales methodology, which is selling with noble purpose, you teach people how to take noble purpose and use it as a driver for the organization, both for the sales staff and the entire organization. And then it's, here's the backstory. And this is from a story that she had talked about, just one of the many stories that she had discussed. Like, here's the story about how how you came to the idea that became selling with noble purpose. And I won't go, uh, uh, Naftali, I won't go into the whole story right now, but it was a story about she was on a consulting gig. She was one of many consultants who a large pharmaceutical company had sent out and each consultant got like 30 people. I'm making up these numbers. I don't know exactly. They each had 30 people to follow in the field for a month uh, blindly. They didn't know who was good or who was bad at sales. And they were to interview these salespeople. They were follow them on sales calls. And the pharmaceutical company wanted to know that if the consultant, each consultant could pick out 
who the best salespeople were in the lot without being told. They just wanted to see if such a thing was possible. And so Lisa one day was was speaking to a salesperson. They were in the salesperson's car. They were dropping Lisa off at the airport. And Lisa said, okay, are you going home now? It's Friday night. It's Friday afternoon. You're going home. And she said, no, I'm doing another couple of calls. And Lisa said, why are you doing another couple of calls? And the, and the pharmaceutical rep said, well, here's why. It's because a few years ago, I was in a doctor's office and I was wearing my pharmaceutical company name badge. And an older woman came up to me and said, do you work for that company? And she said, yes, I do. And the older woman said, thank you for giving me my life back because your rheumatoid arthritis drug just saved my life. Before that, I was in such pain. I couldn't drive. I couldn't get down on the floor to play with my grandkids and so forth. I was a prisoner in my house, but they gave me your drug. And now you see, I can drive. I can go out with my friends or whatnot. Like it just turned my whole life around. So thank you. And by the way, the pharmaceutical rep, I think, was crying when she was saying that. And so she said, when I think about quitting for the day, I always think of that woman who came up to me and I'm scared that if I quit too early, I'm going to miss other grandmothers and grandfathers out there who could really benefit from our drug. So I always do an extra call or two at the end of the day. And so when Lisa heard this, she went back to her different transcripts of other interviews and she identified like seven or eight salespeople who she felt were more driven by purpose than they were by figures, by sales quotas. And it ended up, she sent it to the pharmaceutical company. She said, here's your top eight salespeople or whatever the number was. And she was 100% accurate. Wow. She was 100% right that is in a blind study. And it was all based on that. So anyway, just to forgive me for going on now about this story. So it was this idea of selling with noble purpose, that backstory, the pieces of philosophy behind it, what it is she does. And so it's like, Lisa, now change your speeches around that. And she's so brilliant at this stuff that she did. And suddenly she was coming, she came away from these speaking engagements with like, normally she would get, she would come away with like a couple of lukewarm leads. She was coming away with like eight gigs, like signed contracts and another contract for like hundreds of thousands of dollars or what. And since then she's written bestsellers on it. And so, so that would be an example of finding what it is you truly are about your big, sexy idea. We didn't make anything up. We just identified it, named it. Beautiful. And named the story. So that worked for Lisa as an independent consultant and a writer and things like that. But the same idea works for you inside an organization. It's like, what are you truly about? And now what are the stories and pieces of philosophy that back that up? And now get those out there formally and informally. Sure. And I'm thinking about other thought leaders, uh, whether it's Simon Sinek, who I know you have worked with, and Daniel Pink and others. The idea of selling being not only a human experience, but really being something driven ultimately by purpose. So you've you've articulated that beautifully. But now I want to take the big conversation we've had and really shrink it a little bit because one term we used at the beginning, which I think many, if not most people who are listening know, but nonetheless probably deserves to be defined a little bit more clearly. We talked about an elevator speech, and that's something you teach about. So what is it? How do you see it? And why is it really important for people, particularly today, to master an elevator speech? Oh, yeah. Well, the term elevator speech, there's a little difference. I've researched this a bit on where it comes from. One place where it perhaps comes from, Philip Crosby, the guy who wrote Quality is Free and Quality Without Tears. And so uh, Crosby in a book, like in the second edition of a book in like 1978 or 1980, he actually used it in a chapter of one of his books 
and he said that like if you get in the elevator with Mr. or Mrs. Big, you need to have an elevator speech. Like it, like you're only going to get a chance to speak to them in the elevator. So you got to be able to tell them about the project you're working on in a way that's clear and that excites them like during that elevator ride. So you make an impression on them. You know, so that's kind of like where the idea comes from. And now people, so it's kind of like, it's to entice people, it's to be clear and to entice people about the work you do in a short period of time. So your elevator speech should be modular. You should be able to talk about it in seven seconds. And I, you know, you don't have to like put your stopwatch up, but in general, you know, like seven seconds, then you could have a longer one that would be about 30 seconds. You could have one that was five minutes long. And it's all about talking about what it is you do in a way that draws people in, right? Makes sense. And there's all kinds of variations. Oh, sure. It makes sense. Go ahead. One variation, if I may, because uh, I can teach it to your listeners right now. And if they've never had an elevator speech before, this is one of the, the very easiest and most effective ways of doing it. May I? Please. We're very excited all to right. hear this. You're not going to suddenly cut me off now. Not so, at Here's all. the big thing. And then Tali goes, all right, enough. Yeah, yeah, enough. Stop right now. Right, right exactly. All right, go ahead, Mark. Too much content. All right. <laughs> so this is a slightly longer one. This would be if you, let's say, had 40 seconds or a minute to talk about who you are. You're in the, so Empire, you're in the Empire State Building. That's right, exactly. <laughs> go ahead. So if someone said to me, you know, if they said, Mark, what do you do for a living? So I might say, you know how when you're at a business conference or a business mixer and someone comes up to you and asks you, what do you do for a living? Just like you asked me right now. And you start to talk about what it is you do for a living. And in about eight seconds or so, the person who just asked you that question is kind of looking over your shoulder to see who's who else is more important in the room like who's more important than you, or suddenly they look at their watch and they say, oh my God, excuse me, I actually have an appointment now. I suddenly recall. It's an appointment they didn't realize they had eight seconds earlier, but suddenly as you're speaking, suddenly it's very important and they have to leave. Or my favorite is as you're talking, they say, oh my God, excuse me, you see that woman across the way? I've been waiting to speak to her all night and she's free right now. So excuse me, I'll be back. And the person leaves and goes over to the woman. And you, you know, like, like, you know what just happened, that they're not coming back, that, you know, she's, and that, you, that you're annoyed and you're not annoyed just because you lost a potential prospect or a potential colleague or whatever it is that you lost. But it's that you, like so many of us, tie up your self-concept of what you do for a living, you know, like with who you are as a human being. You know you shouldn't, but you do. And so now having that person diss your work that you spend so much time and effort on is almost like dissing you as an entire human being. It's like crushing your existence under heel like in eight seconds. You know what I mean? So what it is I do is I make sure that never happens for you again. What I do is I teach people to talk clearly and engagingly about their business so that next time you have a conversation like that and someone comes up to you and asks you what you do, you're going to have a talk that's going to be so exciting and relevant for you both that it's almost like the rest of the room is going to drop away because it'll just be you two people having a discussion about something that counts to you both. So that's what it is I do. Awesome. So that would be an example of the you know how when format. And what it is, 
get your pens out, Naftali land, or whatever it is you call <laughs> Need your- Need to succeed nation, but keep going, Mark. All right. I'm, I would like you to change it to Naftali land when we get off here. Right. You know, we, so, with, your, with your marketing expertise, I may have no choice on this one. Right, exactly. Welcome to Naftali yeah, that's land. That's right. The whole, show, the whole show has now changed. Thank you very much. Right. right. So it's this. It begins, it begins, you know how, when, and then you discuss a problem that someone like that your client has, your prospect has before you even show up, right? Like you're not even really part of it. You know, it's, so it would be something like, you know, you know how when a leader needs to get their team to do an important project, but they have a hard time because whatever it is, like I won't go into it, but like, you know, you paint the scene. It's almost like a camera. It's almost like a movie script of what the problem is before you show up. So it's, you know how when, and then you talk about this problem and then the transition is, what my work does is I make sure that never happens for that person again. And then you talk about like the inverse of what the problem was. So remember when I did my, you know, how, when the problem was someone talks about what they do for a living and they get ignored, like forcefully and disgustingly ignored. And then, so what I do is make sure that doesn't happen again. I teach them how to talk clearly, engagingly about their business so that next time that thing happens, they're going to have a conversation that's so important and relevant to the two of them that the rest of the room is just going to drop away. So in other words, what I did was I inverted what the problem was in my solution. Here's the problem and my solution like solves that exactly. Beautiful. Does that make sense? It does. It does. We're going to need to pivot shortly, Mark, but if we can in yeah. 60 seconds, since this really yeah. is a leadership podcast first and foremost, I was wondering if there was a particular branding lesson that you could share with our listeners that has particular relevance to leadership. I know we talked about it in general terms, but anything specific where somebody who is leading others, maybe because they tweaked a certain element of their brand, of their of their interactions, things like that, would oh, became yeah. a more effective leader within the organization. Oh, sure. Well, I won't tell you a story or so, but since we have such little time, I'll just tell you the idea that if if an idea is particularly important to you and important to the team and important to the organization, you should in some way name it. You know, like Seth Godin, his book, Purple Cow, you know, so now people can talk about a purple cow. What a purple cow is, is a business or an idea that's very different than everything around it. Like all the cows around you are black and white and, you know, they're uninteresting, they're boring. But a purple cow is one that would make you stop and think. That is true. So he called that idea purple cow and he named his book Purple Cow and people would talk about creating purple cows in their business. So I'm saying to you, I'm not saying, I'm not telling you to create purple cows in your business. I'm saying is if an idea is important, you should give it some kind of name so that people can talk about it to other people. Right. That's all. Like when you, when you talk about things like lean manufacturing or whatnot, all that is, is assigning a name to like a bunch of ideas. Yeah. There is no such thing as lean manufacturing. It's what the person who named it decided it was. Sure. 
You know what I mean? But now people can create an entire discipline about it, around it. Which is, which is great, of course, because both of us are Jewish. I'm thinking you said purple cow. I'm thinking of the red heifer, you know, described <laughs> in the Bible. But either way, that sticks out. And that's something everybody knows about. So that's great. What an awesome way to end this segment. And we're going to transition now to our rapid fire segment in which we lift the curtain a little bit. You have given us fantastic insight, and I think your your passion is palpable in everything that you do, and really it's been an awesome conversation so far. Um, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about Mark Levy, the person. And um, let's talk, this one has still has a little bit of a business element to it, but the best marketing message you've ever seen that wasn't your own. Oh, I don't know if it's the best, but the reason why I had Purple Cow in mind was because I love that marketing message, the idea of Purple Cow, because it's so hard to forget. It's so vivid. And again, like, you know, Seth begins his book, Purple Cow, by saying, if you and your family are driving, you know, like in the country and you start to see all these cows, they become really boring because they're all black and white and they're all tan and whatnot. But what happens if you saw a purple cow? You'd pull over, you'd take out your iPhone, you'd take pictures, you'd want to pet it, you'd want to put it on Instagram, all this stuff. And so a business needs to find its purple cow. It needs to find an idea that's worthy to be remarked upon. That it doesn't just blend in. So like to me, the idea of purple cow is an extremely strong marketing idea. Awesome. I remember in your presentation back in the summer, you talked about your passion for magic and magic tricks. And I remember you had a whole presentation there. What is your favorite magic trick of them all? Oh, (laughs) no one's ever asked me that. That's very interesting. I don't know that this is my favorite magic trick, but a magic trick that comes to mind is a historical magic trick. In the 19th century, there was a French magician, Rubert Houdin, who had a trick where supposedly he helped stop a war with this with this trick that he appeared in the village square and he put a box down and he had the smallest member of this community come forward and lift it up at the box up and she put it down and then she he had the strongest warrior in the tribe come in the community come and he supposedly cast a magic spell over the guy and the guy could not lift the box up that the little girl had just lifted up. Like he weighed 200 pounds more than her and he was this fierce warrior. And it so startled everyone that the whole place, like, like they like ran, they ran because they were so freaked out. But so I think it was the idea of, of the impact that it made on the audience as opposed to just the trick itself. Mm. You know, because just the trick itself is you put an object down, someone can lift it, then you snap your fingers and now someone else can't lift it. That's a good trick, but freaking out an entire like group and like stopping a war because you're showing them how strong your magic is, supposedly that's what happened. Like, you know, it's always what's the effect going to be on the audience. So sure. it's that thing that, that has an impact on me. One thing about your life, religion, culture, or, or society that you're really curious about but haven't yet discovered the answer to? Um, I'm very interested in the fact that we have feelings all day long and our feelings change. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're – all these different types of feelings. And like where do they come from? I know there's a lot of brain science out there. But here's the, here's the important point. Here's the point. Like how come sometimes our feelings change and it's not really based on what it is that we're thinking or doing? Like you could be cleaning your bathroom 
with a toothbrush your bathroom floor and you could be really happy. Or you could be doing something that should be making you super happy and you might be really sad doing it. And like how come, you know, we don't have more control over our feelings, but also how how, how come our feelings don't always like add up in a one-to-one ratio with what's happening in front of us? That really is a, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm going to be pondering that one for a little while, especially now that I've got, that's right. Especially with the toothbrush imagery and then my right. purple cow behind it. Right. I'm going to clean a purple cow with a toothbrush. I think exactly. that's the way I'm going to do it. Okay. Awesome. So Mark, tell us a little bit more. How can people reach out to you and connect with you, learn more about your work and ultimately if they choose to engage with you professionally? Right. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. So my website is Levy, that's L-E-V-Y, innovation.com, levyinnovation.com. And if you go there, I have blog posts there. I have videos there. I have ways of working with me there. And I also have my uh, my numbers and my emails there. So you can contact me uh, through there. And I love to hear from you. And, you know, we could have a talk about how I could help you. Fantastic. And of course, we're going to leave all of your links in the show notes. And if there's anything in terms of social media, we're going to include that as well. So before we let you go, Mark, you've given us so much already. So I almost feel a little bit selfish asking you for this. Haven't I given you enough? I know it's crazy, but I, but it's part of my protocol. So please forgive me. Yeah. Um, I do I do like to ask our guests to leave us with one final life lesson. This does not in any way have to connect with your professional work or even with leadership. Just something that would be a great takeaway for for sort of wrapping this beautiful imagery that you've created with a nice big colorful bow, uh, with which to uh, sort of um, put closure to our conversation. Oh, sure. Uh, That's easy. I I kind of live my life according to this. This is what I do both in my professional life, but also like on the weekends. It's you should really go around and pay attention, deep, deep attention to what is obvious. Because if you pay attention to what's obvious around you, like we tend to sometimes ignore what's obvious because we think it's always there and we think we know what it is. But if you look more deeply at what's obvious, it'll freak you out. So like where that happens, by the way, is, you know, like I'll walk, I I live uh, connected to a national park. I essentially live in the woods. So I'm often walking around and I'm like examining leaves in detail. I I don't say this in a self-aggrandizing way. Like it's great. Like I'm getting in touch with it. It's just the way my mind works. It's like, why is that tree growing in that direction? Why did this leaf fall and that leaf not fall? You know, like just why is stuff growing on that side of the tree and not on that side of the tree? You know, like just all kinds of things related to that. I would do that in cities and anywhere. So it's the same thing with people in their lives. It's like, I I, I just got off the call with, a call with a a new client. He signed up right before this call. And he said to me, how are we going to begin? I said, I said, I'm going to ask you when you were born, what year you were born. I'm going to ask you where you were born. I'm going to ask you what your was like growing up. What were your parents like? What did you do? What did you like to do? What didn't you like to do? Where did you go to school? Why did you pursue that major? How come you're not using that major now? Like it's all just stuff that might be so obvious you'd never even think twice about it. But I'm telling you, that's where the gold is. You look at what's obvious and then you ask yourself questions about it. And that's where differentiation comes from. That's where like a great life comes from. 
Wow. What a great final lesson. Now, if I had to convert that into an elevator speech, I'm thinking about mindfulness, but that's really what it is to be aware and be sensitive and, and really ask great questions. Even if they seem to be simple and perhaps uh, straightforward, you never know what kind of nuggets you're going to uncover. And I want to thank you, Mark, for really giving us tremendous gold today in this conversation. I know I learned a lot when I first encountered um, you in, in, in your presentations, and I've learned a lot more since. And this conversation today has been fantastic for me. And I'm really hopeful that Lead to Succeed Nation will uh, really review this again and again and unpack it further to make relevant impl- uh, applications and, of course, to reach out to you as well. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate everyone listening. Today's leadership quote is from Reverend Theodore Hesburgh. The very essence of leadership is that you have to have a vision. It's got to be a vision you articulate clearly and forcefully on every occasion. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet. I think I got this idea again for Mark today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you could lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives social proof and encourages more folks to listen. Social media junkies, please share this recording with your networks and tag me as well. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Naftali Hoff and on Twitter as Ad Impactful Coach. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.